glad to see you here today, and uh, it's uh, we're fixing to get into uh, this passage of Scripture here. Didn't Teresa do a great job last week? She can lay stuff out where you can understand it, that's for sure. I'm going to back up a little bit. Uh, heard her preach it, inspired me to back up a little bit into what she preached last week and then go on. But um, we've been talking about the whole book of Exodus, about our deliverance, a journey through the book of Exodus. And that's what it is. It's, it's teaching us about how we can be delivered. And so here's the thought for today. Your presence, Lord. Your presence, Lord. Uh, it's an interesting thing. Last week, in chapter 33, uh, go back up to, I guess, verse 14. And the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with me, do not spend, send us up there. And uh, they, were in the, they were in the midst of this thing that God's people had been done evil. They had went back to their old gods. They had made gods a golden god. And so uh, Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us. And I, I thought that was very, very interesting. And, and uh, we're going to get in now to chapter uh, 34. And uh, you're going to see, we keep telling you this. Uh, I guess the only way we're going to prove it to you that the entire Bible is about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all uh, one story. It's uh, a flowing story. I heard a story when I was in college about they took some blind guys to see this elephant. The story supposedly happened in India. They took them there, and so they would lead them up and they would touch different parts of the elephant and they went back and they were going to have a discussion on what an elephant was like so one guy goes back and he had felt the leg of the elephant he said uh, elephant is like a big tree it's real rough and it's like a big old round tree and the other one said no it's not he had felt of his tail and he said no it's like a swinging rope it's like a, a rope and the other one said, no, he touched his, uh, the, the horns of the, and he goes, uh, he's like a mighty spear. And then another said, no, no, that's not right. The one that touched his ear said, no, it's like a big, it's like a big flat covering. And all of them had this different experience. And so they begin to get in an argument about what an elephant was like. Welcome to Religion. Religion is a big, the elephant in the room is this. Religion fully don't know God. Religion knows a part of God. They know, you know, they've touched God in this area, or they've touched God in that area, they've touched God in that area. And so the reason we have such a division, they don't understand that God is so big. God is so massive that God cannot be explained in, in a word, in a verse, you know, finally God tells them what his name is. He says, my name is Yahweh, and that's the way we pronounce it. We really have no clue how to pronounce Yahweh because the original writing has no vowels in it. And so we, we are like, I don't know how you say, how do you say it? Don't have any. And so the, 
the Jews, they primarily would not pronounce his name. I know we look back earlier in the book of Exodus and they call him God. But God was not God's name. Because there's many gods in the scripture. They try to, you know, you've got a big G, it's the God, always usually referring to Yahweh. Little G is like the gods of this world. But can you imagine God, man has failed, and God is going, he's already promised, just at the point of their failure, he promised to redeem them. He said, I'm going to sin, uh, and there will be a seed of man that will crush, uh, with his heel will crush Satan's head, and uh, I'll redeem you. That's in the very book, first book of the Bible. Then he begins to tell us uh, a little bit about his name, Yahweh, or they said, well, like, what's a Yahweh? And he goes, I am. If you look up Yahweh, it means whatever you need him to be, basically. God's whatever you need him to be. He's, and so they would say, uh, I am. So we're going to, if we were to take the time to take a break, we could go through the names of God. I am Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides. He's the God of provision. He precedes, sees everything, so He can provide everything. God knows we, what we need before we're going to get there to when we need it. And so we could go through uh, the different names. You know, he's, he's, a God of, he's our peace. He's our healer. And you could go through all the names of God. Well, you could go through those seven names, and you wouldn't know everything there is about God. And I love this passage, kind of like riding on the heels of what Teresa said last week. I love this passage. Here, here's the problem. Here, in, here it lies. How can a sinful people dwell with the Holy God? Well, the children of Israel, they may not have been real smart, but they were smart enough to know that they needed God. They knew without God, they were still in Egypt, in bondage, in slavery, working 15 hours a day. With God, they've been freed from slavery. There's a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. You know, manna's fallen from heaven. You know, all that stuff. They know they cannot make it without God. And they have attached this thing of God, the I am God, to this cloud. That when the cloud is with them, when God's presence is with them, they have everything they need. He is the I am of everything they need. We need something to eat. Bang, here it's coming down from heaven. We need water. Bang, he splits a rock open. Water's coming out of the rock. We need some meat. Bang, quail's falling out of heaven. They're getting to know a God that provides all their needs. Then Moses goes up to get the commandments of God. He's getting the instructions on the tabernacle and all this. And when he comes back down after 40 days, what are the people doing? They've taken the gold that was given to them from Egypt. When they left, you know, they took pretty much the spoils of Egypt with them. And Doug done a great message about what God done about that. He caused them to grind up the gold, drink it through water, and it come out the other end. Which made it impure, and they were not to touch it again. All that gold, I read somewhere how much, how much money that was just went out of them. I think how much the treasures of God sometimes just go out of us when we don't treasure His treasure. 
And uh, so Moses goes down the mountain and he throws down the tablets to break them, which is symbolic of you and I as men and women of, of, you know, of the fall, every one of us will break the Ten Commandments. You go, well, I ain't broke all of them. Well, you broke enough of them to go to hell. And I broke enough to go to hell already. And so the question that had to be answered is, how can a sinful people dwell with a holy God? And so God said, you know, he tells them over here in 33, he goes, you know, I'm a, I'm a God of my word. I'm a God of justice. I'm a God of whole, a holy God. You're gonna, you don't even know all the things that I am and I can be to you. But you have to choose me. And so if you want to choose other gods, you're going to get the results of other gods. If you want to choose me, you'll get the presence of God. And so they realize what a fatal mistake they made. And, you know, Moses said, uh, well, God, you know, we just read that, God, that you are the Lord. You are a God and, and you're compassionate over in 34 and, and uh, six, seven there. The Lord, the Lord. The Lord is compassionate and you're gracious and you're slow to anger and you're abounding in love and your and your faithfulness, maintaining your love to thousands of generations and forgiving the wickedness and the rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children and to the sins of the parents of the third and fourth generation. So here Moses finds him and his people are those sinful people. So over here he goes, he said, Moses bows to the ground and, and he worships the Lord. Now he, he just said all this to them. God, he's reminding God who he is, like God don't know. You're loving and you're compassionate. He said, I, I hope I found favor in your sight or in your eyes. Then let the Lord go with us, although this is, although this is a stiff-necked people. Forgive he said, they're a stiff-necked people, and then he included himself. I forgive our weakness and our sin, and take us as young, uh, take, our, take, uh, take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. And uh, so I love this fact that, uh, you know, Moses was using God's goodness against him. He was saying, hey, God. I know we're sinful, and I know we're stiff-necked, and we're a ridiculous people. But, God, we can't do much about that. We can't do a whole lot about that. You know, God, you know how frail we are. You know that we're just human. But, God, you, God, you, God, are gracious. You, God, are your goodness, God. You're faithful, God. God said, okay, I'm a man of my word. I'm going to make sure you get to the promised land. That's what I promised your fathers and their fathers. I'm going to make sure you get to the promised land. I'll send an angel or something to direct your way. But my presence will not go with you. And Moses goes, that ain't going to work. Because we got to go past the land of the Perizzites. He tells all these people... And he knew that he needed God's favor to get through the world that he was in. So I want to bring you today and I want to talk about this problem. How can a sinful people dwell in, in, in a, uh, with a holy God? 
the way that it's going to happen and the, the way that the scripture, I've told people, I've never been more excited about a sermon. I don't know if I can share it like I feel it in my spirit, but I've never been more excited about a sermon than this. He tells us here, he said, here's the way. I'm going to show you a way that a sinful people can come to a holy God. And I'm going, oh, I'm all ears. I want that. He said, he said, I'm going to tell you about the cleft of the rock where Moses experienced the glory of God is one of the many great pictures of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the rock. He is the cleft. And uh, this picture of Jesus Christ and his salvation in the Bible, Jesus is the center character of the Bible, fulfilled all its pictures and prophecies. That's how we know he is the true Messiah. None of these other gods that people proclaim as God can fulfill these scriptures. These writers didn't even know one another. Uh, you know, all the different writers over an 1,800-year period of time. He said, he tells them one place in John, he said, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify, these Scriptures testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You know, he said, I didn't come that to condemn you. I come to give you life. I'm the goodness God. Remember, I'm the gracious God. I'm the faithful God. Don't forget that. He said, all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. You know what they comprehended? The Jews were very good about memorizing this. But Jesus had to come in the flesh and he had to tell them, I didn't come, my God didn't come to leave you a manual to read and go by. My God, you can read the manual all you want to. You can read the Bible all you want to. He said, but what you need is Emmanuel. You need Emmanuel. You need, and Emmanuel means God with us. We can't be redeemed without God being with us. Moses was smart enough to realize that, no, no, I, I, you know, I got to have you with me. And so we, we read this and we understand here that the scriptures all speak of them. Then he said to them, thus it is written, thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead on the third day. The theme of this section of scripture is how can man live in the presence of God? Created in God's image, man was made for direct face-to-face -face fellowship with God, to share the glory of his Son. But sin made this impossible. We go all the way back to Exodus 32. It records a great tragedy which highlights the problem. It should have been the high point for God was drawing close to man, coming down, and he was revealing his glory on Mount Sinai. <clears throat> Moses had gone up into God's glory to receive the Ten Commandments. It seemed that God's presence with man was coming to be more of a reality. <clears throat> but while the people were waiting, they made an idol, a golden calf. It's an Egyptian symbol of deity. The images and idols will always lead people's worship to false god. Thus breaking the first two commandments... In anger, Moses smashed the tablets of God, signifying that man has broken God's law. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us. 
This then exposed the fundamental problem, how can sinful man dwell in the presence of a holy God without incurring the wrath of God? Exodus 33, 1-3 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it, and I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Termites and all of them, you know. <laughs> I'll, I'll get you to the, the land of milk and honey. Somebody said, I wonder what the, the land of milk and honey was like. It was sticky, I must tell you. For I will not go up. He said, I will not go up in your midst. Least I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. God was saying, how can I go with you and dwell where sin is? His glorious holy presence would mean destruction would fall on the people, for he is a just and must punish sin. But separation, you know, separating from this Consuming God is not the answer. Separation is no real solution, for man was made for God's presence. Would you accept the terms that God offered? Here's, God, here's what God was offering. I'll give you the perks, in other words, the property, the Holy Land. I'll give you the perks without the presence. If the devil were to come to you today and say, I'll give you all the world, if you'll sell your soul out to me. But the only thing you can't have is my presence. Would that work for you? Moses, this was a test that Moses was going through, and Moses said, no, Lord. We, we would like to get to that promised land place where the milk and honey flows and all that. And, but God, we would rather have your presence than have your property. See, it's getting to where you're going to put God in your life. You're going to put him first place, second place, third place. If he's anywhere but first place, eventually you're going to be worshiping some gods that are not the God. So you want the perks or you want the presence? I think about David. David saw a beautiful girl and she was bathing. He looked down and, man, she looks good. He said, I'm going to make a way to have her. Even if I got to kill her husband in the front of the battle. And he had her. But what he didn't have when he had her, he didn't have the presence of God. And if you read the rest of the book of Psalms, the sad story of David, David cried, God, please don't take your presence from me. God, I'll give everything up that I have, but don't take your presence from me. I just think God is telling us today, we need to covet the presence of God. It should be top-notch. It should be the main thing. His glorious holy presence would mean destruction, would fall on the people, for He is a just and must punish sin. But separation is not no answer. Would you, you, know, would you want to be separated from God? Do you love God and want to be in the presence, or do you just want His benefits? This was a test Israel needed to respond well to. 
when the people heard the bad news that, okay, he's going to get us to the promised land, but the bad news is they, his presence is not going with us. What would be the reaction of these people? They mourned. And they had taken all, made all these little golden ornaments of other gods. They took all of that off. And they mourned and they wept. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume all of you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments, which is significant. It's signifying repentance. Take off your old garments. Take off your old sins. Take off your old ways, signifying repentance, that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel, they very quickly stripped themselves of their ornaments and of their disobedience on Mount Horeb. God's answer was, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I'll have compassion to whom I will have compassion. What was God saying? God says God's love and grace is a sovereign, free expression of who He is. I want you to understand one thing. It is not bought or brought forth by our merits. God chose to make a way for a disobedient people to come to him. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. Verse 20, his request was granted as far as God was able without killing Moses, for even Moses being human and having sinful flesh cannot live in the direct glory, the radiation of God's presence. You know, I think about, you know, Moses, I, I love his faith. God, we're sinful, we're stiff-necked, we're all this, but you're God. And I want to see you. I want to see you face-to-face, -face, actually. And I love this story. And, uh, you know, God puts him, he said, I want you to come up, and I want you to stand with me. I was thinking about how big God is. The Bible said his head is in the heavens, and the earth is his footstool. And in my little goofy mind, I was thinking, okay, God's going to let Moses see his hinder parts. And God's heaven is up there and his feet in the earth. And so when God goes by, pretty much uh, Moses is going to see his rear end. You know, <laughs> This is all you are worthy of, but I'll let you see the, my backside. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to see God's backside. If that's all I can see, I want to see his backside. I want to feel his presence. I want to know he's with us. And, and so we see this. Moses cannot even stand in his presence. However, our re resurrected bodies will be able to abide with him in glory. Meanwhile, there is a way in which man can spiritually dwell in the, and enjoy the goodness of God's presence without being judged. God promised Moses that he will enter into this experience and through it God will reveal how he will make it possible for men to stand in the presence for God. And if God would let Moses be able to stand in the presence of God, and we've already found out in the scriptures that he is no respecter of persons, then if God let Moses stand in the presence of God, that means that there is a way that we can stand in the presence of God. In this event itself, it's fully symbolic. 
the meaning which we will draw out later. The Lord said, here, here is a place by me. So the place back to the glory of the Almighty God is always right by Him. It's by Him. We need to get as close as we can by Him. Stand by Him. The Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock. What does cleft mean? It means a split in the rock. I'll place you in the split of the rock and will cover you with my hand. I'll cover you. A lot to be said. We could go back and start in Genesis again and talk about the hand of God and the arm of God. All of that is symbolic. Cover you with my hand when I pass by. Then I'll take away my hand and you shall see my back afterglow, the reflection, wake of me. But my face shall not be seen. No direct exposure to the glory is possible. The cleft of the rock represents Jesus Christ. On Mount Sinai, Moses tended for sheep until God called him. And God came as a consuming fire. He, he came and he began to speak out of a burning bush and called him to go be a deliverer. And there he first met God and, and began to get these little pictures of God. But we find that the cleft cleft rock where Moses experienced the glory of God is one of the many great pictures of Jesus Christ in the salvation in the Bible. The theme of this section of scripture is how can sinful man dwell with the presence of a holy God without incurring the wrath of God. The Lord said, here is a place by me. You shall stand on the rock. So shall it be while my glory passes by that I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I'll take away my hand and you shall see the back afterglow reflection. But my face shall not be seen. No direct exposure. So he's telling them he wants it to be clear. What is God teaching us in this passage? The cleft of the rock represents Jesus Christ. The Bible, God is our rock, the strong, unchangeable one in whom we can trust and find refuge. I want you to see this. In the Bible, it said, the Lord is my rock. This is what David found out. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. So we find refuge in the rock. He is my shield and horn of my salvation and my stronghold. My rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. My rock and my fortress. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock and my refuge. My rock of refuge to which I can always go. You are my rock and you are my refuge. He is the rock. His work is perfect for all. His ways are, are, are judgment. For who is God save the Lord? And who is a rock save our God? On Mount Horeb in Midia there, this is actually believed by many scholars to be the very mountain where Moses Experience God. See this cleft in the rock? This split in the rock? They said when the all-consuming of God settled down on the top of this mountain, this mountain has been charred, and they've never been able to know how it got charred like that. The whole top of the mountain is burnt. 
But there was a Moses down in here, hidden in the cleft of the rock, excitedly waiting to just see a little piece of God. That stirs me up. The older I get, I guess I'm going to be called the crying preacher. I can't hardly talk about this stuff without being moved by the wondrousness of the type and shadows of the Almighty God. God is on our side. Paul says that the Israelites in the wilderness all drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Christ was the rock. How did the rock, how did the water come out of that rock? God, God told Moses, he said, strike the rock. He struck the rock and it split the rock and water began to pour out of it. Therefore, a split rock is what? A cleft. It's a cleft. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You can be in the most dry, desertous place, and yet you'll have sweet water if you stay in the rock. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. Next is 17, Jesus Christ is the rock that was cleft, struck for us to receive waters of salvation. Now in Exodus 33, we again see the cleft rock, which must be representative of Christ and his crucifixion. I'm going to tell you about this story, but you can't really see this from where you're at. But you can see a little figure of Jesus Christ there. And I'll tell you why that's significant here in a minute. Uh, I'm going to come back to it. He is our rock. God hid Moses in the cleft of the rock. There was a place that Moses needed to be to get back to the presence of God. And that place was, you got to be here right by me. you got to get right by me. God's provision for salvation was specific location, which represents the specific person. We know that in Mount Sinai, there is where all this took place. Secondly, the peak symbolizes Jesus Christ and the Son, who is eternally with the Father. The peak in the cleft is open. And so our faith has got to be in Christ. And you shall stand on the rock, Moses said. Moses was told to stand on the cleft rock. The peak with the tablets. Here Moses got the tablets. Now the tablets, it's just he made two tablets. You know, this is where Moses goes and he's got his two tablets and God downloads uh, his program out of the sky. That was the first uh, iCloud. But you get there, he's just carrying two blank pieces of concrete or rock that he had hooned out. You remember he broke the first two. There's something miraculous takes place. 
God said, you come stand by me and at a certain time, I'm going to lift you out. I don't know how he did it. He took, physically took Moses and put him in the cleft of the rock. Then when he started to go by, when he went by, he shielded with his hand. His hand must be gigantic. He shielded with his hand as he walked by the cleft of the rock until he got to a certain distance. And then he, you know what that cover hand means? We get that thought in the word atonement. The word atonement means a covering. The, the lamb that was slain in the garden and the blood was shed and they took the lamb skin and they made a covering. It's, it's, it speaks of the atonement. The atonement is covering. It's not that we don't have sin. It wasn't that the children of Israel didn't have sin, but God made a way to cover their sins and he would recognize something else, which was the sacrifices and the blood in the book of Leviticus we're fixing to get to. And yes, we're literally going to go through the book of Leviticus. Because did you know that every Jewish child, the first thing, book of the Bible they ever learned was the book of Leviticus? Do you know that you will never get a clue and understand the big book of Hebrew without learning the book of, of Leviticus? So hold on. We're going through Leviticus next. But it's faith in God, faith in this cleft of the rock. We found out now that he's already telling us the only way we can come back into the presence of God is that we're going to have to get in the cleft of the rock and we're going to have to accept the covering, which is Jesus Christ. And then when we're baptized into Jesus Christ, see, when we, when we are baptized, he says, so it shall be, while my glory passes, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. If the cleft of the rock of Jesus Christ. Well, I'm going to tell you something. A few weeks ago on Easter, I preached about the beautiful, glorious cross of Jesus Christ. How is the cross the cleft of the rock? Because it's the only way to be shielded from the consuming fire and judgment of God. The only way. And so when Jesus died on the cross, God turned ahead. He couldn't even look at the sin. Because God's a consuming God. He's a righteous God. He's a God of justice. But Jesus, our Lamb, died on the cross. And when He died on the cross, being the rock, He was split. And you say, well, how was Jesus split? My friend, Jesus was eternal God in heaven. He was forever God. He could have stayed in heaven. We could have all went to hell lost. Jesus said, I'll come down. And Jesus died on the cross and he's hanging there. And when he cried out, it is finished. The earth began to shake. Darkness began to come. And it said, they looked around and all the rocks around them were splitting. The rocks were split all over the place. It was there again symbolic that Jesus would be split for us. And he was forever split for us. Now he's not just God. He's not man, but for throughout all eternity. I don't think we'll ever visually see God. We won't visually see the Holy Spirit. But we're going to see Jesus. He is forever split from being all God all man, he's forever split. He is forever God-man. 
He is forever our sacrifice. He is forever the Lamb of God. That will never be reversed. He will forever understand our heartaches, our pains on that cross. He was the cleft that was split for us. And when you're baptized, you know, he told Moses, he said, Moses, I'm going to put you in the cleft. When we go to Jesus and we recognize we want, we want his presence more than we want his perks. We want his presence more than we want his properties. We want his presence more than anything in this world. We come to the cross in repentance and say, God, you're right. We're a stiff neck, uh, disobedient, sinful people. But God, we're, we know we need you. We can't live without your goodness. We can't live without your presence. We can't live without your faithfulness. We can't live without your grace. And we come and we kneel at the cross and we say, God, I know I'm not fit for heaven. I'm not worthy for you to even look down from heaven at me. And God, I don't come on my merit. But I want to remind you something, God. Without you, I'm consumed. Without you, I'll burn. God, I want to remind you that you're a faithful God. You're a good God. You're a just God. I can't do anything about my sin, but you can. And God says, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And he sent his son to die for us. And in baptism, the Bible says that we, through repentance, and we're, then we are to be baptized. And what, what is baptism? It's when you're baptized into Christ. Where did God say he was going to put Moses? In the cleft. Who did we find out is the cleft of the rock? It's Jesus. So he put Moses symbolically in Jesus. He put Jesus. And that's the only place you'll find safety right now is by repentance and believing on the rock, Jesus Christ, that was split for you, and let God hide you in the rock, the shelter of the rock. You know, we order this red umbrella here. I think of the mercy of God and the grace of God in this umbrella. You're like in a storm. Where do you go when the storm arises? Where do you go when, when it's raining and the storm of life is, is just coming on you? Team, if you'll begin to get ready backstage. There's a shelter in all of your storms. And I know we got some people in our church going through some storms. Going through some sicknesses. Going through some difficulties. I got a dear friend of mine in uh, Nashville just hanging, barely hanging on to life. Depressed, discouraged. Barely holding on. I want you to pray for him. But just like he did for Moses, his atonement will cover us and we'll have a covering. And we have this covering. We have his presence. And when we have his presence, we have the power to drive out. If you were to study in the original language, the Perizzites and the, all these different people, their names represented like depression. Their names represented and all those names represent some of the things that we go through. While Moses was there, you know, God said, stand there with the tablets. When God passed by, 
miraculously by the hand of God somehow or another. When Moses looked back down, the Ten Commandments was inscribed on those two stones. Tell me this not, is not all symbolic. It first proved we are sinners. We broke every one of the commandments. We're all sinners needing to be saved by grace. When God goes and God's given them a second chance. But the second chance is not based on their ability. It's based on God's ability. And God's grace. And God's goodness. And God's faithfulness. And so God, He makes the shelter for all of us, the cross. If you come to the cross, you'll find Christ. I don't know if I can get this to stay on here or not. He comes to the cross. He is our shelter. He is our fortress. God is the shelter that we're looking for. He is our righteousness. We need to run to the cross. We need to run to the cross. We need to be sheltered by God. We need to realize He, without God, we're all doomed. We're all destroyed. Finishing up here today, and Lord, I could have preached a week on this one passage here, I believe, that didn't hardly get into 34. There's a guy in England, I want to tell you about this. A young minister traveled through the rugged country near England's Cheddar Gorge. All at once the clouds burst and a torrential rain began to plummet the earth. Caught unaware by... A sudden downpour. The long, weary traveler was able to take shelter in a mighty cleft of a rock. Standing under the rocky overhang. The figure is the Reverend Augustus Top Lady. He is a zestful Calvinist preacher. The cleft is the face of a large cliff of limestone connected to Cheddar Gorge. The rainstorm is this, in this area can last for hours. Setting for a long wait, he had nothing to do but study the wonders of God's nature and the things he knew about God. In that mighty moment, he realized about that cleft, that split, after all. Inspirations begin to come to him in flashes as if it was from on high. Fumbling in his pockets, he was looking for something to record what he was thinking. And the imaginary fires and the imaginations, he reaches and he founds a pair of some playing cards. There he pr protected now from the storm and the buffering wind and the cleft of the rock and in the rain, from the rain, he conceived one of the best loved hymns ever written. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Wrote this in 1976. This right now is a park. You can go park your car and look at this. And there's a, a figure there representing Jesus Christ. And they've made it a, something to go see. He wrote this in a time that Israel couldn't even pay their national debt. A lot of things that he'd went through and troubles he went through flooded him as he began to write the song. 
Rock of Ages, which so aptly describes Christ as the Rock of Ages, as a remedy for all our sin. Could a mere man help God to achieve our own salvation? No, never in a million years. We must look to the cross and come to Christ depending totally on Him. It's a strong declaration of Christ and His work on the cross. Man's only hope of salvation from judgment is to run to the cross. The hymn is based on this encounter of Moses with God, where the cleft of the rock is pictured by Jesus Christ, our salvation. In like manner, by being hidden in Christ, our rock that is split for us, He's forever God-man, open on our behalf on the cross, even the veil rent, meaning there's no division. We can all come boldly to the throne of grace. We're not separated outside the veil. We can come in behalf of the cross. We are sheltered from the eternal death we would surely face when we stand before a holy and righteous God to be judged. Instead, we are given eternal life, even glory. And so he says, rock of ages, cleft or is split for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from the wounded side which flowed be the sin, my double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal, no respite, no, no respite, no. Could my tears, if they forever flowed, even all of that, all for sin could not atone. You could cry until Jesus comes back and it won't save you. That must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Sympathy to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. While I draw these fleeting breaths, when mine eyes close in death, when I soar through tracks unknown, see thee on your judgment throne, rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. As he neared his own end, his own death, top lady that wrote this song said, in closing, before he died, my heart beats every stronger and stronger for glory. Sickness is no affliction. Pain is no cause. Death itself is a dissolution. My prayers are now all converted into praise. While I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyelids close in death, when I soar through tracks unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne, rock of ages, cleft for me. I hide myself in thee. Amen. Powerful, powerful. We're going to do something a little different today. We're going to take communion. That's not different. Underneath your seats are some hymnals. We're going to sing. People say, well, why do you churches want to sing them old hymns? Because some of those people that wrote those hymns were moved by the Almighty God to write that on pages. I believe what this top lady, what he wrote, he got a vision from God. And that vision from God is your way of salvation. I want you to stand. You can get the book. We're going to look at page 81 and 83. So they'll be side by side there. First, I want you to get your communion out. It's down there.
behind your... Do we have all the communion? Everybody got communion cup? Is there anyone that don't have one? Raise your hand real quick. All right, here's some over here, Teresa, when you get time. If you want to prepare your cup, you take the bottom off and there's your bread. You may want to open the top a little bit later where you easily spill. We've done it all kind of ways, but during this COVID, this seems to be the best way is let you handle your own cup and let you open your own cup. Does everyone have one? We got one over here. Anybody else? If, just keep your hand up if you don't have communion. Dear Heavenly Father, may we take communion today like we've never have ever in the past. May we understand that we are free to come into your presence because your son was split on the cross and forever he's the God-man that he was the man that took all our sins. At the same time that he took all our sins, God stayed justified and God stayed righteous. He said he would by no means clear the guilty and he didn't clear them. He didn't clear them. But he paid the price for their sins. A righteous God must do what he says. And he sent his son to do what we couldn't do. Redeem us from our sins. Now everybody in this building can come boldly to the throne of grace. You can find his presence. You can find forgiveness. You can live in the goodness of God. Because this is what he's teaching us in the Bible. Won't you take your bread and say... Jesus said, this is my body. Won't you say, this is my body, the rock of ages. The rock of ages that was split for me. Now I can hide in him from all my sins forever and ever. Take, eat. He held the juice up at the last supper. He said, this is the New Testament, in my blood. Just like Moses, those stones magically got written on the Ten Commandments. He said when Jesus Christ comes in, He would come in, and when He comes into you, He would write the Ten Commandments upon your heart. This is the blood that was shed, that God give you the Christian conscience that you have. Take drink. God, we thank you for the sacrifice. We thank you for the shelter from the storm of life. God, we thank you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.